0: Seeking the Extraordinary
1: is sponsored by The Colony Group, a national wealth and business management company that seeks the extraordinary by pursuing an unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about how The Colony Group manages Beyond Money, visit thecolonygroup.com. Welcome, fellow seekers of the extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest, a quest not for a thing, but for an idea, a quest not for a place, but into deep, inner, unexplored regions of ourselves, a quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. Extraordinary stories of overcoming anguish. Every single one of them had lost somebody from their family. I will never give up on trying to lessen that conflict. People who have stood up to challenges with true courage. Do something in life that that you have a passion for, something that you enjoy
0: and you find fulfilling. That's where you have your greatest success.
1: Stories that will enlighten and inspire what I said to him is absolutely a cliche, but the journey is more important than the end result. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. I'm Michael Nathanson, your chief seeker of the extraordinary. At the outset, Let me say that today's show will be difficult for some of us to listen to. Our guest, like every guest on this show, is of course extraordinary. But his story is especially hard to hear. Hard, but important and highly inspirational. Our guest is a Holocaust survivor, and he's here to tell us his own story of a time of horrors that millions of others did not survive. He's also here to offer us lessons that he is uniquely qualified to teach us. Our guest was born in Poland to farm owners Israel and Salah. When Germany invaded Poland in 1939, our guest was a young boy living happily with his younger sister, Zosia, on the farm his parents owned. Then the Gestapo came and forced them to find someplace else to live. Israel, being the head of the Jewish community, was regularly taken to the police station and questioned about the Jews and community. One night in 1942, he did not come home, and that night changed their lives forever. Knowing that the Gestapo would come for them next, our guest, his mother, and his sister escaped their hometown and walked 15 miles in the middle of the night to a ghetto where they thought they would be safer. After spending three months there, they escaped with the help of a friend. For the next three years, our guest, his mother, and his sister survived the Holocaust by hiding in attics, barns, holes, and even the ground below a pigsty of kind Polish people during the winters and in a forest during the warmer weather months. During the fall of 1944, They knew that they would no longer be safe hiding in the forest because the war was raging in that part of the country. The war front was getting closer and it was too dangerous with the artillery and all the fighting. They ended up joining other Polish people that were escaping the front lines and took on false identities to live as refugees for about five months until they were liberated by the Russian army in February of 1945. After the war, Our guest, along with his mother and sister, stayed in Poland and lived under communist rule until 1957, when they had an opportunity to leave and emigrate to Israel. But making a living in Israel was difficult, so after four years, our guest reached out to his family in America to be sponsored to come to the United States. Not knowing a single word of English and having only $5 in his pocket, he boarded a ship and made his way across the ocean to start a new life. He found work at a jewelry factory sweeping floors. Working hard, he went to school to learn English and started to learn the trade of the company. Within five years, he became a factory manager, and in 1971, our guest was able to purchase a wedding ring manufacturing company of his own. Over the next 40 years, our guest grew that company, Lieberfarb Inc., into a successful nationally branded wedding ring and bridal band company. Now in retirement, our guest dedicates his time to speaking with students and adults about his life's journey. He says that though he is small in stature, his huge smile and love for life shines through. Married to his wife, Luba, for over 55 years and with two daughters, Anne and Isabella, he says he has lived the American dream. His daughters have traveled to schools with their father to speak to students about his life as a child during the Holocaust. In their years of traveling and speaking with teachers, they realized there was a lack of funds available to schools to implement proper Holocaust education. So they founded the Mark Schonwetter Holocaust Education Foundation, whose mission is to expand and support Holocaust education for students around the country and to provide funds necessary for educators to implement Holocaust curricula into their lesson plans. As of January, 2023, they have reached almost 77,000 students across 28 states. The Mark Sean Holocaust Education Foundation has been featured on Today on NBC, as well as ABC7 New York, WCBS 880 Radio, and News 12 New Jersey, along with several other media outlets. The foundation's vision is to inspire students to create a world where all people are treated equally and with kindness and respect. Please welcome the extraordinary Mark Wetter. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much. It's really
0: just, appreciate your introduction.
1: Well, I have to admit, I feel emotion when I when I I, I read I read your daughter's book. Um, every time I think about your story, it's just it's very emotional for me. Um, it's an honor to have you. And I usually like to start these interviews by giving my guests a chance to fill in the blanks around the biographical information that I offer at the beginning of the show. Now, in your case, I relied heavily on the information offered by your foundation. And I have to say that I felt uncomfortable veering too much from what I read there because I want to make sure that I get everything right. We're going to get into more of the details around your struggles surviving the Holocaust. But why don't we start with you telling us more about yourself in whatever form makes sense? What did I miss?
0: Well, I don't think you missed a lot. Maybe some details how we survived during this period of time. I understand that. But otherwise, I would really appreciate you saying whatever you said was great. Now, as far as... My survival, some more details in reference to my my survival, where there was like hiding wasn't an easy part of our life at this period of time. You had to be very careful. You have to obey by the rules and regulations which my mom put on us. Because we survived. Thanks to our mother. Mm. And I always say that she's probably the, 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 greatest woman in the world. Because if you think that a woman with two small kids hiding day and night, doesn't matter if this was a summer or this was a winter. A spring or a fall. You had to always hide. Be careful. Every move that you made was a move that made the decision. Are you going to live, or are you going to be caught by the Germans and kill?
1: I'm going to uh, give you an opportunity. I'm going to walk you through your story, just that I took from from uh, from Anne's great book. Uh, before I do that, I want to ask you one initial question which uh which is is simply that in the book, you are not referred to as Mark. you're referred to as Monek, so I just want to make sure that I understand is is Mark an Americanized version of your real name my
0: uh, My original name actually was of course being a Jew, I had a Jewish name mhm-. But then the minute the war started and we start hiding, my mom changed my name I to Manek, which was kind of a name, uh, she took it because she called me in the beginning Marian, Polish name Marian. Mm-hmm. But it became like an easier, better to say Manek. And then when I came to the United States, I was called Marian in, in, in Poland later on life in in everyday life. I was called Maria. Marian. However, when I came to United States by, and tells me you have to change the name because Marian is a woman's name. <laughs> I didn't know a difference. So she says, you're going to be Mark. I it's see. close enough, Manek, Mark, Marian, Emma. It's happened in the beginning,
1: and that's how I became Mark. Thank you. So let's get into your very important story, and let's start with your memory of life before the Germans invaded Poland, and maybe speak a little bit more about, you mentioned your mother already, but maybe speak a little bit more about your mother, your father, and your sister. Well, that's what I
0: remember. Because after all, I was only five and a half years or so or less old when the war started. So there are not many things actually that I do remember, unfortunately. But I do remember, for example, that I used to be all the time close to my father. He used to work in the fields. I used to always walk behind him, go and try just to be around him. When he worked in the garden outside our house where we lived, I tried to help him, call it just to be next to him. I like horses. Mm-hmm. So when the horses were outside, I always went to the horses, go with them, and be next to them. Yeah. Much about my sister, I didn't know she was about two or three years younger than me. So we were so much involved together, but I do remember more a little bit being next to my father than, than to her.
1: So um, you mentioned your, your parents, and to me, your parents, uh, both of them, were just extraordinary heroes. And, and we're gonna get more into their individual stories in a moment. But in Anne's book, she tells a story of when, as a boy, you mentioned horses. You um, you 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 got into your parents' wagon, and um, and you accidentally ran into an SS officer. And you, it sounds like you you clipped him. You you accidentally hit him. And and to me, this is the um, this was one of the hardest things that I read, at least toward the beginning of the book. Uh, cause there's a lot of hard things to read in that book about your mother basically having to become something that she was not just to save your life and how she basically had to, well, I'll let you tell the story, but discipline you in a way that was not your mother. Can you tell us that story?
0: Well, I do remember this story a little bit. We were in the field with my father and then for whatever reason, honestly, I don't remember. But I did grab the, the course with the wagon and start running. Just, I felt it's funny, just for fun. I figured this is so exciting to me, go and have this. And then I didn't know that. And when I went on a road, I didn't expect to see a German motorcycle with three Germans. So, and I was going pretty fast. And I almost hit them and then I quick ran to our driveway, went out, stopped, jumped from it and ran away. However, the Germans right away went behind me, came to the house and my mom noticed that, so she first thing what she did, she grabbed me and started hitting me over my, to his back. And scream at me and yell at me. And they start talking to their, to mom, but she didn't care what she was. They were talking, just idiot me. Finally, she looks, oh, what is it? What is it? So they say, did you see what he did? So she says, why do you think I'm spanking him? That's what he deserves. He didn't do it the right thing. He has to be paid for it. He will pay for it. Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy nothing happened to you. And they kind of saw that and they just left.
1: The, the the book talks about how your mother was just heartbroken that she had to do that and um, that she actually had blood on her hand, which was not your blood, but hers. And uh, right. she felt like that was the only way that she could save your life because she thought that they were going to kill you.
0: Exactly.
1: Ugh. Um. You, you watched your uncle David being taken away. Tell us a little bit about, about your uncle David.
0: My uncle David, which was the brother of my mother, he used to live with us and the Germans made that was like every so often they asked my father to bring young people, Jewish people, because they need them to take to work. And then the trucks came, they loaded him up, and they took him to work. And one day when they came, he didn't do nothing wrong. And I was standing there outside with them looking, and the German went to him and started beating him up. I couldn't understand why isn't he hurting you. He didn't do anything. Why are you beating him up? They just took him laid in, throw him on a truck and took him away. I start crying, then ran to mom. But there was nothing here of course I could do or anybody could do. It was so hurting me. Why did they do that? Couldn't understand that I repeat.
1: And you never saw him again?
0: I never saw him again after that.
1: Um, what happened to your father let's let's hear his story
0: Well, my father being a head of the Jewish community and having the Gestapo constantly coming to our house, asking him questions about the Jewish population in town and then telling us to telling him to take the family and move, and move out from the family house and they took over our property, house and everything. So what happened, they used to take him in to the, call him in, let's say, to the headquarters of the Polish police and asking him questions. Then, then he used to come home. So one day he didn't show up. So I'm going to give you some story about this here. Yes. He didn't show up. So some. It's late in the evening, somebody knocks on the door. When mom opened the door, the wife of the police chief is there and she tells my mom, listen, I have to tell you something quick. I overheard the conversation between the Gestapo and my husband and they told him that they're going to come one day and take all the Jews out from here in maybe a few days. I just want to let you know, take the kids and run away from here. So mom didn't know what to do, but we went to our old house to the Polish family that my father gave him two rooms to live in our house. And she asked him for help while well, he told her tomorrow morning, we talk about it. Let's go to sleep. She went to a cousin of his to sleep and I slept with his kids. And next morning, when the early morning, the door opens and the Gestapo walks into the room. And they go straight to him and tell him that the Shonwetters are hiding here. Where are they? He says, they're not here. So he kind of told them, we're going to search and find them. he told his people to go and search for him. So they left and he's walking out. He stops, looks, and he says, "In one of the kids happened to be the oldest daughter, and he tells her, tell me quick, how many brothers and sisters do you have?" And she says to him, eight. So he goes, he counts. And really, whatever she told him, it matches. Hmm. So he walked out. And I say that I was probably the the luckiest kid in the world that she was smart enough to include me in the count of her brothers and sisters. So, but what happened to my father, we didn't know. But then when we were hiding in the forest, Mr. Piwado, his son-in-law used to come and give us, bring us a little piece of bread. One day, his son-in-law came in. And Mamno looks and she noticed that he's wearing a pair of shoes. And she's asking him, where did he got the shoes? He didn't want to tell her, but they go back and forth. Finally, he tells her. Few days after you escaped from town, the Germans came. They took Polish young guy to work. I was one of them. They took us to a forest. They told us to dig a big hole. After we've been done, they took us back to town. Then they came back for us and we see we're going back to the same place. So when we got exactly to the spot, this big hole that we did before was full with dead bodies. So they told us to cover everything, make sure that it's like nothing is here. After we finished work. They told us, you see, all the items we have here on the side for the work that you guys did, take one item. So I was looking around, he says, and I came across the shoes and I noticed those shoes and I knew those are shoes of your husband because I work with him every day. So I took it for memory. So he told my mom, now you know that your husband was killed and he's in this mess grave. That's how we found out what happened to my father.
1: Seeking the Extraordinary and The Colony Group are proud supporters of the Mark Schoenwetter Holocaust Education Foundation. The goal of the foundation is to raise funds to allow schools to apply for grants that will aid them in purchasing materials and funding programs that will enhance Holocaust curriculum. Mark Schonwetter survived the Holocaust along with his mother and sister and they have been sharing his story of survival with adults of all ages as well as students all over the Northeast. Along the way, Mark has discovered one of the biggest obstacles that schools face with Holocaust education is budget restraints. To learn more and support this noble effort, please visit mshefoundation.org, that's mshefoundation.org. So you were kicked out of your house. You were just one day they showed up and said, get out. And um, you, you learned, as you just said, that you had very little time to, to leave. And, uh, and so um, when your mother was hearing that you're going to have to go to this ghetto, you, you made this long trek to the ghetto. Tell us that story. Well, after
0: we got together with my mom, so Mr. Piwak told mom, you know, I heard that there is, in this town, which was a larger town, that there is a ghetto. And he says, I think nobody will think in here, the police or the Germans, that you were there to live. So I think this will be the safest thing for you to go there. So we walked from our town of ofjoted to Denbitzer, which is about 15 kilometers miles, and we walked into the ghetto. And that's where we started living in this ghetto for about three months we lived. Now, the conditions under which we lived, not only we, all the people who lived, Jewish people, who lived in the ghetto were horrible. The food, that we used to get twice a day, they gave us, which they called soup, which actually was warm water with some color in it and nothing else there. Then a slice of bread, twice a day, every day. So you can imagine you were constantly hungry. The houses that we lived didn't have any running water or anything there. There was no toilets. So we went always, didn't take any, any, any showers, forget it. We didn't know what the shower is even, but we never washed. We never went to the toilet as a toilet, only outside somewhere. We were sick all the time. Mom cut our hair because we had lies, no medicine, no doctors. People were dying on the street. In other words, if you couldn't survive your sickness, then you died. die. was horrible conditions. Horrible.
1: And, and and then your your mother heard that as horrible as it was, it was going to be worse because the Nazis were coming to, I think the word used in the book is liquidate everybody, which is murder everybody. So what did your mother do?
0: Well, she heard the rumors that they would li- liquidate the ghetto. But unfortunately, there was no way to get out from there because the Germans were there all the time. But then she heard that somebody is looking for her. So when this little boy told her and she went to the place and she looks, Mr. Piwad is there and he tells her, bring you kids and I show you how to get out from here. So when she brought me my sister there. He tells my mom, why don't you pick up one kid at a time and throw him over the fence? (laughs) Mom says, I wish I could. I am weak. I don't have any strength. I cannot pick up. I don't have strength to pick up a a kid and throw him. And he convinces her. He says, yes, you can. You can. You can do it. Do it fast. We don't have time. Time. No time. And besides, they could look at those two little kids—they skin and a bone. They don't work way much. Do it anyway. She did it. Then she jumped over. He told her to jump over. He grabbed her, and that's how we got out from the ghetto. He took us out from
1: there. So this this man that you keep you you you're pronouncing it Piwat. So it's Piwat. Pilat. P i l a t, and his first yes. name is Anthony. Is that correct? Anthony Piwat. Anthony, yeah he is uh he is he's a very important part of this the story very important yes so um from there um why don't you tell us now about where this all led because now you went to living in attics and haystacks and holes in the ground one of which i think was you called it a grave um and even with with pigs during the winters and, and you lived in the forest during the summers. Tell us a bit about all of that.
0: Well, when we started, what well, he brought us into a farm, and we started in a farm's house. Happened to be the fall when we got there and the people were nice enough to take us and put us on an attic and we lived on this attic. And they made sure that they told my mom that her two kids have to be quiet. No crying, no laughing, no talking, not a word. We'd be sitting on this attic, day and night. We're not going down. We're not going anywhere and she will bring us some food and that's it. And that's how we survived one of the winters there. But then we had to leave because she wouldn't hold us any longer and she told us to go and live in a forest. The only place she could recommend. So we start living in the forest while living in the forest, not having any food, but mom being, knowing life on a farm. So she know, she knew that in forest, you have mushrooms, berries, all kinds of wild things growing that you can eat. So she took us, we walked around, we found them and she was teaching us, which ones, are the ones that we can eat and which one are the ones that are poison. We shouldn't touch And whatever it was growing, eatable, she was teaching us. And that's how we basically have the food to eat cause it wasn't much enough. <laughs> we were hungry. Sometimes we couldn't find some things, but whatever it was, was good. And we live like that. Yes, there were days that it was, you know, summertime, was raining, we got wet, and that's again my mom. She always looked positive of everything. She always explained to us things. So, yeah, we were wet. She, we cried that we, you know, it's cool, it's wet. So her answer was with a smile on her face. Tomorrow is going to be, I can see. It's going to be sunny. You take your clothes, hang on a tree, they will dry out, and you'll have fresh clothes. Mm-hmm. And that's how she was, up oh, and that's what we were doing, and that's how we were living in the forest. Yeah.
1: I'm going to come back to your mother in a moment. Um, yeah, the stories just go on and on, and I really can't recommend the book enough to get a real feel for everything that happened, stories about how at one point you were hiding under a haystack, and uh there was a German with a pitchfork and he he uh was you know thrusting it through the hay and he pierced your mother's your mother's leg and how you all had to stay quiet and um it, just reading about you living in a grave for a while or in a pigsty it's very difficult um and I can only imagine what it was like for you. You've written about about the pigsty. You said it was horrible. We stepped in and laid down in the dirt, and he brought wood to put over us, and then hay, and then the pigs. Mark, given your age, I don't need to ask whether that is something that can be forgotten. Clearly it cannot. Do you think about these horrors every day? Do Do you dream about them? Are they always with you?
0: Well, honestly saying, I don't. I don't dream about them. I don't have horrible your dreams. And, 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 and I don't talk even much about it. And again, I bring my mom because after the war and everything, she was telling us, let's not talk about it. Let's live and think about the future. We went through so much in our life. I don't want you to think about it all the time and keep this on your mind. You young, we live a different life right now. I see we will be okay now. So think the positive way. Think about today's life. Later on, we see what's going to happen. Maybe we will come out and talk a little bit. But right now, I don't want you. So somehow we got used to it Stay away not to talk about it so much.
1: I listened to a recent interview in which you spoke about your mother's unrelenting strength and optimism, truly an extraordinary human being. Um, And it seems clear that that is, as you just said, a source of your own strength and optimism. Um, I think it's also a difficult irony to reflect on exactly where she learned those survival skills. You just spoke earlier about how she knew which mushrooms and which kind of berries you could eat. Most people don't know that. I don't know that. And what I learned from uh, from your story is that her parents had to teach her to survive when the Russians invaded when she was a child. And that's how she learned these survival skills. Mark, did she keep her faith in God throughout throughout all of this?
0: Well for- <laughs>
1: For me to say if
0: she did or not, I cannot say because on this subject, while we were hiding, never came up. We never talk about religion or anything. We were so occupied with trying to obey of our rules to live, to behave ourselves, to be careful. To make sure that we're not making noise, that we're not going to any place, that some while we were hiding in the forest far away, that maybe somebody can notice us, that when we step on a on a, 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 a on a on a leaves, that we actually tried not to step too much on them because it's a sound. We never put a fire on in the forest. Because mom says never put a fire, because you're going to have smoke, and somebody may see it. So all those things going on every day of our life, that this subject was never brought up. So I, I cannot make a statement here.
1: Thank you for that. You, you, uh, you were almost killed. Your whole family was almost killed many times, and of course, some of your family was. Maybe say a few words, Mark, about the the righteous Gentiles who saved your lives so many times.
0: Well, I have to give all the credit in the world and respect to the people who helped us. There were a few families that they jeopardize their life to help our life. And there is no words to say thank you. Because as much as you say thank you, it's still not enough. It's not enough because it's today if you sit and think, oh, he helped you. But it's different when you live under those circumstances that you have the Gestapo all the time close. And I have to say with all due respect for some other people, which I'm not giving him much respect, that there were also people who went and did tell police you're hiding here, but this happens in any society. You have different type of people. So if those people did those things, they took their and their family lives in their own hands. So whatever you say, thank you or do anything, it's still not enough.
1: And some of them did pay with their lives. And again, I would encourage people to read the full story. When someone speaks to you about this experience, is it appropriate to say, I'm sorry for what happened to you and your family? How how should people speak to you and others who survived the unthinkable?
0: Well, it's nice to say, I'm sorry. It's nice to say. But I don't know if this is proper to say, I'm sorry. Because, yeah, you're doing, you spill a little water on somebody, or a little tea or coffee or milk, and you say, oh, I'm sorry I spilled that on you. Okay, but to say, I'm sorry that you serve surf- the way you survive," yes, you're acknowledging. Maybe you're, you're crediting that the person survived. But uh, just to say this, I don't think that makes me, you know, feel that, the person really is 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 feeling what i feel because to feel what you went through and how you went through and i don't know what is the proper word even to say here yeah i think maybe the best thing is just give you a hug yeah. not to say anything and just to show i hold you. Thank you i have you next to me it's a sign that you're
1: here. Thank you. I understand. I would give you a hug if you and I were in the same studio. Thank you for that. Do you ever wonder what life would have been like if all these horrors had not occurred, if the Holocaust never happened?
0: Well, oh. I, I imagine that the life would be besides call it normal, growing up, going to school, Maybe go and study something, or be on a farm, or become a professional, some kind of, and, 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 and credit from this short period of time that you live on this planet, that you accomplish something and you have a satisfaction from living, you enjoy your living. I imagine that that's what would be.
1: Every November, your foundation hosts an annual fundraiser, fundraiser called the Journey for the Living. And that's a 15-mile fitness challenge. And I understand that people walk, run, or ride 15 miles during the month to raise awareness and money to support the foundation. And that the 15 miles represents the 15-mile walk that you, as a very young boy, along with your mother and sister, had to take that one night to escape the Nazis. Um. Anything to add about about the event?
0: Well, I just want to say that maybe for some people, yes, maybe for some people, no, 15 miles is not such a big, far away Mm -hmm. so much, but it's a symbol. I consider this as a symbol, as a memory. That doesn't matter if this would be one mile, or oh, a hundred miles, not 50. It's a symbol just to remember that me, mom, and my sister, we walked 50 miles. It's, we went with the hope that this is a place that we can live and we can survive because it's a safe place. But unfortunately, not. But again, it's a memory. What people try to do in this period of time to survive, I hope that they will survive this. That's the only, I consider this a symbol of this.
1: I understand. I read that you live by the saying, quote, live every day with love, not hatred, and you will accomplish so much more in life, end quote. My question for you is, how can you not feel hatred for what the Nazis did?
0: Well, how can we forget what the Nazis did? Well, I consider here an issue that we have. I consider that wherever we live in this world, we have issues. And the issue is, number one, that we did not learn the history. Because if you would learn the history, you would notice that those instances happen many times in the past. You have to remember the Crusaders. You have to remember the Inquisition. You have to remember what happened to the Arya- Armenians. You have to have even remember during the second war that there were Japanese taken without any proof or anything. Put aside your gem because they thought maybe they are maybe they dangerous. Now we had in Uganda. So it shows you that things happen and we have to learn. We have to know and be, if we wanna say that we smart, intelligent, knowledgeable, so we should be knowledgeable that those things happen and make sure that they would not happen again. Yeah. Well, has to come to a point that we should say enough is enough of this. That's
1: it. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your foundation. Um, I remember learning extensively about the Holocaust in, in religious school, um, but I don't remember spending too much time on it as part of my secular education and Um, I imagine, as you just said, that's the gap you're trying to fill, that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But the task is so large. And I've read that many members of Generation Z, you know, the younger people, do not know much about the Holocaust. And, of course, there are now entire nations that are spreading lies that it didn't happen or that it was exaggerated. Are we moving in the right direction?
0: Well, I have to say that, unfortunately, we are not leading into the right direction because let's not go all over the world. We live in United States. Let's talk about the United States. That's our place. To have only 22 or 23 states, that are teaching you Holocaust. What about the rest? How can we expect this? To, to, to not to happen or not to try to create something like that. We were talking and hoping people should know about poor slavery here, and, or what, what we had, uh, slavery. It's it's not being thought the proper way, I feel.
1: Mark, you're likely familiar with Pastor Martin Niemaler's famous saying, yeah, it's it's a it's a longer one, but I'm going to read it, and then I have a question. They came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came from me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up now that's actually a true story about the pastor, many people don't know that it's not just poetry um, it's a true story about him and He at one point said some pretty terrible things about the jews and and he supported the rise of Hitler, though he ultimately repented and was himself sent to a concentration camp before being liberated. I look around the world. And see so many wonders, but I also still see so many horrors. And so you just said a moment ago that we're not going in the right direction. Now I have a related question. How hopeful are you today that we can eventually learn to speak up for and even love each other?
0: Well, you have to be hopeful. You have to hope because you feel that maybe, maybe whatever you do, whatever you share with others, people are this subject, that this will be heard by more and more people, and you hope that those people may stand up and somehow teach the ones who, or discuss, let's put this first, with the ones that denying that or don't believe in it or create trouble. So. You live and you hope, but is it enough? I don't think so. I think that the main thing here should be that like our elected people who have much more influence than me, for example, to say, will stand up and try to enforce the rules, I don't say to take and put those people to jail, but teacher. Get together with them, sit down with them, explain to them, find out why do you do that. If you know the reason, then you can take steps to prevent this. But if you don't look for the reasons, then you don't know, you just talk empty. So that's hope. Thank you, Mark.
1: Okay. We're now going to move into our extraordinary teaching segment. <laughs> Seeking the Extraordinary presents Extraordinary Teachings, a deeper look at the qualities that allow people to do extraordinary things. Mark, what's been your most satisfying accomplishment in life so far?
0: Well, I would say the most satisfying thing in my life is to have my family with me. I would put this number one, my wife and my two kids. That's the most satisfying thing that I have, that I survived. I am alive, and take a look at my family.
1: Great answer. I usually ask my guests whether they have any regrets, but it seems inappropriate to ask you that question, so I probably will pass on that question unless you'd like to answer that question. I skip it. Yeah, because your experience, I don't think it's appropriate for you. So I'll just move on and just say, if you could offer a single tip that has helped you be the extraordinary person you are, what would you offer? What what single tip would you offer?
0: I, I think there's one single thing I would say. Live, enjoy your life, and don't create hatreds between people. Starting with your friends, maybe closer with your family, with your friends, and with your strangers, if you don't know. Be respectful to people. Be friendly to people. Because if you're going to go in this direction, and more people go in this direction, we have so much more opportunity to live in peace and harmony between each other.
1: Again, my questions asking uh, a Holocaust survivor, they're, they're, they're hard to ask. You've had just such a, a different and terrible experience, though you have remained incredibly positive, uh, which is just an, an amazing. Mark, what have been your best learning opportunities?
0: Well, in my opinion, the best opportunities of learning is to learn the history.
1: Yeah. Uh, my next question is, who are your key role models and mentors? Is it safe to say that your parents are your key role models and mentors, given your story?
0: Uh, I would say my mom.
1: Your mom. Yeah. Yeah. She does sound like an extraordinary person. Amazing. She really is just a hero, and and that's it. just to read her story, that, that the story of what she did, and the horrors that she saw and, and protected you from. I, I don't blame you for that answer. That's a great answer. I have two more questions for you. They're related, but slightly different. Do you have a personal mission?
0: I wish I could say that I do. Maybe if I would say that, maybe I would have bigger influence on the subject that I'm trying to make people aware of. But I feel that whatever I do, And whoever I talk to, and I am not hopeful to a degree that I reach everybody that I have talked to. But in each situation, if I get a few people that they will finally understand that it's not right to have hatreds against anybody, against anybody, just be friendly and good. And respectful to everybody, recognize everybody that we all the same human beings. Yeah. We're not different. That would be the best thing.
1: And is that how you would describe your your preferred legacy? How you will be remembered?
0: Well, it would be nice if they would remember that this guy was talking, I listened to her. And today we can enjoy a life, we cannot worry about anything happen to me, that I can walk the streets and safely, that I can go away someplace and enjoy myself. And this is because I listen and learn not to hate people but to love people and live together as one, as one.
1: Mark, I think we're going to end the show with some words from Anne's book. They appear at the very end of the book. Those of you who feel that you are not affected are affected the most. Those of you who feel that it did not happen to you will experience it the most. Those of you who do not remember will have the most terrifying nightmares. Those of you who think it never happened will live through it. Again. And that is the extraordinary Mark Schoenwetter. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. You can learn more about Mark and the Mark Schoenwetter Holocaust Education Foundation at mshefoundation.org and by reading his daughter Anne Arnold's book Together, A Journey for Survival, which you can find at togetherajourneyforsurvival.com. You can also find it on Amazon. You can also join me in following the Mark Schonwetter Holocaust Education Foundation on Twitter at M-S-H-E Foundation, and on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And thank you to our sponsor, The Colony Group. The Colony Group is a national wealth and business management company with offices across the country that itself seeks the extraordinary as it pursues its unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about The Colony Group and how it manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow The Colony Group on LinkedIn and on Twitter, at Colony Group. For Seeking the Extraordinary, I'm Michael Nathanson. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter, at Nathanson underscore MJ learn more about my ongoing search for the extraordinary.